Welcome everybody to Sober Stories of Badgers and Power and Recovery. This is a podcast with Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and my name is Aaron Claiborne. I am the outreach specialist for the Engagement to Recovery program with Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. I am a certified recovery coach, certified naloxone trainer. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. Now, joining me today is LaShonda Molson. She is the owner of Skywoman Consulting. Welcome, LaShonda. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. That's awesome. Good to hear. So welcome, and please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. So, bonjour, Naganagishikukwe, and Dishnikaz. My spirit name is Skywoman Consulting. I am part of the Lactoflambo tribe. I'm a tribal member enrolled there, and I have owned Skywoman Consulting for about three years now, and I do a lot of work around suicide prevention and uh, substance use prevention. I've been in the prevention field for about the last 13 years. I started out as an AmeriCorps member within my community, and I really enjoyed that. And I started, um, I got a job in tobacco prevention. I worked with juvenile justice, and for the last few years, I worked with substance use prevention and suicide prevention. I'm certified in a couple of different programs for those. All right, all right. It's nice, wonderful. All right, so I would like to start off by asking you, how were you introduced to drugs and alcohol? I was introduced to drugs and alcohol through my family. It was very much um, something my family participated in when I was born, early on, very young. I seen drinking and smoking and very young when I was, since I can remember, I guess you could say, um, that is what I grew up in an environment all the way to adulthood. I can, I can totally relate with that one. Okay, so let me ask you a question again. Now, can you please tell me what was appealing um, to you about using drugs and or alcohol? I think the part that was appealing the most is what I seen is that people were using it as an escape. Um, when I was younger, for many different things. And they just seemed to be able to be having fun, which is something I couldn't really connect with at the time because things were going on in my life. My experience with it was I was peer pressured into using alcohol at the age of, I think it was 13. Um, And it kind of like I was exposed, you know, with my peer group were using and that's all they talked about um and that was one of the major things was alcohol being used and then it was marijuana too yeah okay now let me ask you what barriers do you see with finding recovery in the native american communities i think i feel that some of the barriers within our community um is there is a social aspect of drinking um, that leads to many other uses with, of other drugs within our community as well. I think one of the major barriers is availability in the perception of use within our communities. So um, 
alcohol is everywhere. We sell it on a reservation. A lot of people come there to use it um, at the casinos and almost any event, alcohol is involved. And I feel that another barrier to finding recovery is support. You know, oftentimes uh, tribes are funded through grants and stuff like that, but the funding always goes away. You could get a good program going and um, the money dries up or the funding ended and now that program ends because their funding isn't available through the tribe. Everyone's like, oh, casinos. Casinos are only able to do so much on certain reservations and some reservations don't have casinos at all. So I think that when you're talking about barriers about finding recovery, you also have to talk about it's a, a systematic level of finding a safe place for them to be in recovery. Um, we're such close-knit communities that it you're living multifamily and homes and stuff like that too. When So if you go into recovery, you go into um, treatment and you come out and you now are coming back into a home where other people are using as well. And, you know, the, so it's very hard to stay in recovery. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I can, I can relate to all of that, especially, uh, in, you know, in my community as well is drinking is, it's almost expected. You know, going into treatment, then coming right back out to the same thing, you kind of have limited choices. So I can definitely see that happening. All right. Now I'd like to ask you, um, how did how does stigma associated with substance use disorder uh, deter or prevent people from seeking recovery? So being from the Lactiflama tribe, a huge thing that we talk about is culture, is prevention in so a lot of things that are incorporated are to help prevent use. Well, when you're in recovery, you're also helping prevent relapse, right? And so a big thing of um, the stigma of it is some people don't feel comfortable getting back into ceremony and going to different events within the community because they used. And um, some people are like, well, if you're using, you can't participate. And there's different discussions on that. Um, I think that the main thing is to get you back into participating in ceremony and participating in the cultural ways to help you so that you do stay in recovery. I think that's a huge thing for stigma. Um, again, being such a close-knit community, oftentimes when you are using there's a lot of damage done to the family and um, social structures and relationships. So now when you're in recovery, it's a lot of healing that has to be done. And um, that comes with a lot of stigma too, because of the hurt, you know? Um, and, and that's the thing is like when someone is using, it does a lot of um, hurt to families and, and the family has to heal as a whole. And some people aren't willing to um, heal or to forgive, you know, and that can be kind of a stigma that's part of, um, recovery too. And from what I've seen is that like, you know, when you're in heavily use and you're now in recovery, you, you lose a lot of those friends and a lot of those family members. Um, and so now you have the stigma of being in recovery almost because you don't have those support systems that you once had to. It's like a double-edged sword. That's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I agree with you, especially, you know, speaking from my own experience. Um, I like what you said about that, you know, being at a ceremony and not letting individuals attend because they're still using that is that man, that's very stigmatizing that, you know, that definitely perpetuates the cycle. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've, I've had talks with people on both sides that are like, you know, if they're meant to be there, they're going to be there. And then other people say, um, no, they can't attend if they're using, um, I think, and that pushes them away too, right? Um, if they're trying to, if they're trying to be sober and trying to stay in recovery and now you're pushing them away and it's a disconnect now from that, you know, and we don't want to do that, but I understand both sides too. All right. So now I'd like to ask you something else about stigma and that is, uh, what's, what type of stigma do you experience, uh, currently both professionally and personally, and how does it impact you or your community? I think, um, stigma is a huge word and many people perceive stigma differently. It affects everyone in some way, some form in personally, um, not using and coming from a family that uses, I have a stigma and um, there's a disconnect sometimes between me and some family members because I don't use. And there professionally even, sometimes I've encountered people who might be using or I'm trying to help um, have an attitude with me because they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you're you not using or you'd haven't experienced this type of stuff, you know, and I try to talk with them and let them know I've experienced almost everything that you've experienced um, in that aspect. I've had family members die from overdoses. I've had family members have their children taken away or like I've experienced like dealing with the system from my mother and my siblings and stuff like that. So like, yes, I do have those experiences. And sometimes um, those stigmas stay with me as well. And, and it does affect sometimes how I'm connecting with people or being able to help people. And even professionally, when I've experienced it, um, sometimes higher ups or administration would look differently at me. And I'm like, because my family is still in active use. And that's not something that um, I can control, you know, um, I can only control myself. And that's something that I've really worked on in having setting those boundaries with my family. Well, that's a that's a real domino effect. How it rolls down from, uh, you know, close individuals, you're close to loved ones to to you. And you're not, you know, actively using anything like that. That's, you know, really detrimental to a whole line of people how that substance use disorder is viewed you know it's just like you're guilty by association yes yes yeah all right i would like to speak to you now about the uh, community impact of uh, aoda so living in a community or uh, or an environment where drugs and alcohol are readily available uh, what what is peer pressure like um, in that in your community to use drugs? Oh my gosh! Um, growing up, peer pressure was really strong to use. Um, I again, when I was in middle school to sixth grade, even you know, a lot of my peers were using at that time. Um, and I remember going to one of my best friend's 16th birthday and where the alcohol was provided. And, you know, I informed my mom that they were um, going to be drinking, but I wasn't going to be. And she checked up on me and stuff. But that's something that um, growing up with is the availability and the culture of it, of drinking was very available. 
Um, and not just drinking then, it was also um, marijuana, right? Smoking and stuff like that. Um, even as an adult, uh, if I go to a birthday party or um, just to go play darts in the community or something like that, you know, there is a peer pressure of drinking or you see people going outside to their vehicles to use and stuff like that. And it's everywhere, right? It's readily, readily available. And I often tell some of my families in active use, I'm like, um, cause they'll kind of diss our community or reservation sometimes because of the use. And I'm like, you know, you've used, you went states away and you still used, you still engaged in that culture. It's everywhere. And it really, it depends on you to make those choices to get, to surround yourself with people who don't use, to stay sober, to stay in recovery type of stuff. And, um, I really think that's important. So the environment that you put yourself is and important to help you stay in recovery. Um, and, and to stay away from that peer pressure. And it, in Wisconsin, it's so hard too, because um, Wisconsin very much is an, a culture of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Now, I did hear you use the word uh, availability a couple of times. So can you describe um, what that availability of illicit street drugs looks like in your community? Is it everywhere? Is it one main source? How does that look? What is that availability uh, look like in your community? To me, I feel like hey, there are many people um, who sell illicit drugs. Um, I know that someone will be selling and then they'll get caught and then someone else will pick up that void that they now just left of selling. Uh, meth is a huge thing in our community, heroin as well. And then cocaine is making its way back. Um, it kind of was a lower rate of use, which has recently increased a lot. All right. So now let me ask you, how do you feel it impacts um, substance use recovery in your community? I think it's very detrimental to um, the recovery community, the, the availability of it. I know that we have a few resources in our community, like we have 7Gen, which is a program that connects with people that get right out of jail to try and keep them in recovery, give them resources and like help them find a job, get back on their feet, that type of stuff, you know. But for every 7Gen, there's about 10 people saying, hey, I have some over here, let's go party type of stuff. Um, so that availability impacts the recovery community greatly in the low availability of resources or sober living impacts recovery too. So like if you have, it's like the whole supply and demand, right? So you have a high supply of drugs and now there's a low demand of recovery, but if you have a high demand of recovery and a low supply of safe spaces and recovery spaces, the use is going to continue, you know, and that's what we really have to um, try and work on more, I think, is the sober housing, sober, yeah, sober housing, living, um, and better events, or, you know, um, I'm really glad that you guys have, like, the peer supports program, and a lot of people that can be trained in it, you guys host it often enough, that more programs and more people can be trained, so then more people are able to be um, support systems for those people in recovery. Oh, yeah, thank you, yeah, definitely, definitely. So now let me ask you, 
What do you think perpetuates the cycle of distribution or sale of illicit street drugs in your community? Why does this keep happening? Why do people continue to distribute and sell illicit street drugs in your community? So in my years of prevention that I worked on, um, a huge reason of use is trauma, unhealed trauma. And um, they use illicit drugs as a self-medication. And um, I think that what's that is what perpetuates the cycle. Uh, I don't want to say of sale and distribution of street drugs because it, it's also availability, right? So um, for every person that's going to get arrested and charged for drugs, sale, distribution, there's going to be a new person that's going to fill in. And within our community, even within the Vilas County, um, the Vilas County Jail is probably like 80% Native American in there. You know, it's not just from Lac de Flambeau, it's from the, the Vilas County area. And um, if you if all you're doing is arresting them and charging them with things, it's not gonna, it, the cycle's going to perpetuate. You know, they have the recovery pod there now, which has been going really great. It's making an impact in, I've, I hope other drugs, jails are trying to pick that up. And I, you know, we've made some um, connections with other jails to pick up that type of um, programming. But I really feel that we need to work on healing trauma. We need to help um, with restorative justice instead of punitive justice, I think is the huge thing in, um, you know, our community had um, stop dealing and start healing. You know, they had that, um, marketing go out for a little bit and it helped a little, but that that's the main thing is how do we keep our own people safe too? How do we um, help our people is the main thing. So, you know, if there's not a demand for it because our people are healing, then that will stop the cycle, you know? Yeah. All right. So now uh, I hear you, you know, you mentioned how this, there's, you know, a lot of incarceration, overdoses and things like that in the community. So I, I like to ask you, what do you think perpetuates the cycle of drug addiction in your community? Why do people continue uh, to use illicit substances? Uh, I, that kind of goes back to um, my previous answer is the, the cycle of trauma of historical trauma and people are like, oh, that was years ago, you know, with the um, boarding schools and stuff like that and how it impacted our families, how it impacted um, how they parent, how it impacted our clan systems that were in place to help us, how it impacted our ceremonies and how it was passed down too that helped heal us. And uh, I really think that perpetuates that cycle is because all those traumas keep being carried down. You know, resilience is also carried down through our blood as well, you know. Um, and that's something that I really try to work with and have people promote is the resiliency in their blood, not the trauma. But the traumas have to be healed. And once the traumas are healed, the that cycle will stop more so. You know, it'll slow down eventually. And, you know, I really talk to my family about that, even the ones that are new. So I'm like, you know, this is a cycle and you guys have kids and we want to make sure that that cycle stops with us. The cycle of use, the cycle of, um, and let's start a cycle of healing within our family, you know, really going to therapy and doing 
um, ceremony, getting back into ceremony, that type of stuff. So I think um, the low um, availability of funding and the higher um, cycles of trauma is kind of what perpetuates the drug use within our community. People are self-medicating and trying to get over you know, sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse throughout their childhood, throughout their life. And, you know, I'm sure that everyone feels the um, impact of COVID and the low availability of mental health people because they were also burned out during that time frame. You know, I've worked with um, Tribal State Collaboration for Positive Change, which is the Department of Health and Tribal Behavior Health, Mental Health, directors and we talk about how there's not as many counselors available, how there's not as many people going into the field or how it's hard to keep them because they want to go into private practice because they're able to make more money, you know, and you can't blame them for that because they need to make a living as well. But it it decreases the availability for people to get help. If I'm going to try and get in and help heal myself and I can't get in for three, four months, then, you know, you're not catching me. It's going to be hard unless I myself have that motivation to stay on that path. Um, and, you know, if other things pop up, I'm more likely to fall off, you know, fall back under the radar again. So I think that's, it's a systematic thing too. Um, the way that the system is set up to people in poverty, keep them down, you know, if I get a good job and now I can no longer get food stamps or I can't get TANF type of stuff, even if I make like a dollar raise or something like that, you know, I'm trying to um, better myself. And now, now I have to pay for food that I didn't have to pay for before, you know, like, and I understand that the system is supposed to help people. And, but it's also, if you really look at it, it's a, meant, a way to keep people down as well, I feel. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, very, very, that's a very insightful way to, look at things and, and, and speak about, um, you know, systematic processes. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. So now, um, so I want to ask you, but specifically uh, to Native community, Native American communities, why do you think it continues to be an issue in communities of color? Uh, I know you can probably just speak more so in your community, but it affects more so communities of color, all communities of color. So please, can you speak on that a little bit? Why do you think it continues to be an issue in communities of color? Well, I feel, I think, it, again, going back to um, historical trauma, why, and I can only speak for my community specifically, right, in my experience, um, historical trauma is a huge thing of why it continues to be an issue. Um, those cycles that I've talked about previously keep perpetuating until someone stops them. And some people don't know any different um, or how to stop them or how to even reach out and get help. I think it takes so much strength for people to ask for help. And um, sometimes help isn't available or they just don't realize on um, how to get it, how where to reach for it type of stuff. So I think that's a huge thing. I, again, going back to the way that governments and the way it's a systematic issue, you know, recovery isn't just stopping um, using illicit drugs or alcohol. It's having a safe place to live. It's having food on healthy foods to eat. It's having 
a system in place for when you're having a bad day or thinking about relapsing and sometimes those aren't readily available. How are you to stay sober when you don't have a place to live and the only place you can live is with people that are using that'll take you in, you know, that type of stuff. So again, I think it's really having safe places, um, sober situations. And I think it's the, you know, right now I mentioned earlier that Wisconsin is a culture of alcohol and, um, changing that perception is, is key. And I mean, it's slowly changed over time. Like if you look at the perception of use for, um, cigarettes, everyone used to smoke everywhere all the time, indoors, pregnant women, everything like that. And now, now there's a, a perception of if you smoke, it's not good. Or especially like if a pregnant woman smokes or uses, right. And people like look down on them type of stuff. And it's more so like, Hey, like it's your choice, but at the same time, like we want you to be healthier as a whole, as a community. And I think that we really need to work on that is encouraging, embracing, empowering um, recovery in systems to not use. And that's the prevention part of it. That's the prevention is culture because if we bring up youth in culture, they won't have a reason to use. They won't, you know, we're helping them heal from the from birth up, you know, and, and healthy adults to not make the choice to use. Or if, you know, they do use, they don't get into the addiction portion of it, you know, because people talk about a recreational use or some people are able to have like a glass of wine and, and not be addicted. And that's true, you know. Um, but I, I stay away from it personally because I know I had their predisposition to use, you know, from my family experience and family history and, and that cycle in my family. So I know I have to stay away from it. Otherwise, I could probably definitely fall into it very easily. So I think that going back to it, it's like, why do you think it continues to be an issue is, you know, historical, historical trauma, historical use, the perception of use and availability within our communities, you know, those are kind of like um, grant words, right? Perception of use and all this type of stuff, but it really is key and perception of harm is really important as well. Yeah, definitely. I like what where you say that treat the whole person, you know, it's not just about um, stopping use, but there's a, you know, a plethora of other things that involve recovery and treating that, treating the person, the whole person is very important. Yes. So, yeah. um, real quick, sorry. I'm part of a group in, in Flambeau, um, called family circles. And I've learned a lot in um, helping the curriculum being revived back in our community. And there's something that always hit me and it was the teaching of Nin. And Nin means like self, but within that self, you have spiritual and you have emotional, you have intellectual and mental. And they say that um, when you're out of balance, you're akosi, so you're sick, right? When you say akosi now, it means sick, but it really means that you're out of balance. And when we're talking about a person as a whole, how do we help them get back in balance is really key. How do we help those four aspects of themselves get back in balance so that they aren't akosi, so they're not sick? Yeah, I like that. I like that concept. All right. Now I would like to ask you uh, about reflecting on challenges to recovery in the Native American community. So um, I want to ask, what advice would you give a person in a Native American community who is battling addiction? 
I think the key thing is that um, they're not alone in battling addiction in that um, oftentimes, you know, we I kind of talked earlier about how there might be some hurt is that there are still people that are rooting for you and that love you and want you to overcome that battle, to win that battle. And so to not give up and to really connect, to reconnect with, you know, the culture, reconnect with those people. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not a burden on our community. Um, we want we want to bring you, we want you to stay in recovery, you know. And I think that's a key thing is that um, I hear so many, so many people talking all the time about like, I feel like a burden or I don't know who to ask for help and um, keep on asking, you know, you might ask one person and get shot down and, you know, that it might be someone that's not ready to help you or ready to forgive either, but ask because there are people out there that do want, you know, you to be in recovery and to overcome that battle of addiction and you're not alone. I think that's my key thing, you know, um, reconnecting in that way too, because, you know, um, I think it's a concept of who you are as a self and then your family and then your community and you have so many connections and people that want to help and just being able to ask for help and accept help is a huge thing too. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. So um, same question, but about people seeking recovery. So how, how, what, how about advice for someone in a Native American community who's seeking recovery? I think... Um, you know, I kind of alluded it to previously is um, asking for that help and seeking it. Um, I know that there is like this perception um, of social services that you don't need that help sometimes or mental health. A huge thing is like, well, if I just stop using, I'll be fine. And oftentimes that's not the case. We have to heal what what made us use. What, why we continue to use and talking, we talked about that holistic approach of a, of a person. And so how do we get back in balance? And so, you know, kind of like really self-reflection in looking at, okay, if I am not good spiritually, that's what I use reconnecting with um, a spiritual person in your community, or if I'm not good mentally going to get therapy is a huge thing, you know, um, I think really reflecting on that when I what I said earlier is that nin and what made you so out of balance and trying to get those pieces, get people in your corner and to help you with that. And there are groups within different tribes and communities that are willing to help and you know move mountains for you as long as you're willing to help move them those mountains too to stay in recovery, I think is really huge in my experience. Definitely. Yep. All right. Um, so here's my last question. Is there anything else you'd like to say uh, that we haven't discussed today? Um, I don't think so. I really, you know, my key things are like cultures prevention um, for me, um, really reconnecting with um, Gichimani Do, the great spirit for me has helped um, reconnecting with my family and um I'm the oldest of nine and very much like the matriarch in my family. So there's a lot on my shoulders and oftentimes that's how it is in native families as oldest daughter is like the caretaker. And I've kind of had to take on that role, but I feel that, um, helping them, um, 
also helps me, but I also have to have those boundaries in place because I can't give too much of myself to someone who is not willing to also help themselves. And that's, that's been a hard lesson to learn throughout this time. Um, but I really feel that anyone is able to get into recovery and I feel that our community needs them to stay in recovery. Our community needs to heal as a whole and they could be a huge part of it. I think that's so important. And it, you know, we had all our roles to play in and the clan system and stuff like that long ago. And, you know, really reconnecting and getting back, I think is key to staying in recovery and um, to not using again and relapsing. Good stuff. Great information. I really appreciate it all. LaShonda, I would really like to thank you for being here and uh, doing this podcast. You had great things to say, great information, wonderful perspective, uh, personal and and within and about your community. Um, it's very important to get the word out and, um, you know, provide some understanding and empathy uh, to substance use disorder, stigma, and how it affects uh, your community and, and uh, the communities of color. I really appreciate everything you had to say and your, your insight on everything. So um, thank you for being here, LaShonda. And uh, you have a wonderful day and keep up the good work. Thank you. You as well. I appreciate it.